0: Hey everyone, welcome to Faith in Capital. If you didn't already know, I did a prelude to Advent episode that I highly recommend checking out first because in it, I try to take a few steps back and get us rethinking some of the more common assumptions and tendencies of popular Advent theology. I want us to ask what it might look like to rethink our Advent theology as Christian socialists and communists. But for each Sunday moving forward, um, all I'm going to do is engage some of the lectionary texts and talk faith and struggle. Cool? I don't know how it'll pan out each week, but for this one at least, I found a few things in each text that really jumped out to me and, and I thought we could uh, draw upon. In the four texts for the first Sunday, and so I'm not going to read every single word of all these four texts that the lectionary gives us, but <clears throat> um, if you want to check them out before or after, go for it. The first for texts uh, for this Sunday are Isaiah 64, 1 through 9, Psalms 80, 1 through 7, and 17 through 19, 1 Corinthians, or as our uh, soon ex president to be called it, 1 Corinthians, right? Uh, 1 verses 3 through 9, and then Mark 13, 24 through 37. All right, cool. So yeah, you can check those out before, after, never. Um, I'm going to engage. I'll do my best to kind of uh, uh, read along and and, and make sure folks know what we're really talking about. So let's begin. So Isaiah gets our advent rolling with a plea for God's presence. Verse 1 and 2 read, quote, Oh, that you would tear open the heavens and come down, so that the mountains would quake at your presence. As when fire kindles brushwood and the fire causes water to boil, to make your name known to your adversaries, so that the nations might tremble at your presence. Quote. Welcome to Advent, folks. <laughs> it's a season of tearing and eruption and fire so hot it brings the calm waters of the oppressor's world to a boil. This is not the anticipation of sweet little white suburban baby Jesus who preaches not all cops and tells us to protest respectably and urges us to turn our hearts and minds to getting that promotion at work and compels us to surrender our desires to the accumulation of property, wealth, and the fucking American dream. Hell no. Isaiah wants God's presence to scare the shit out of the status quo and shake the normalized ideologies and systems of death and domination to the ground. If capitalist exploitation and US imperialism and the nuclear family are the calm waters of our communities, then God's presence is the fire that boils that water up, if our passive toleration of poverty in structural white supremacy and for-profit healthcare, housing, and food in our communities is the calm, peaceful water of the world, then we must become the flame that transforms that water into something fundamentally different. If the sturdy, stable mountain is the domination of developers and landlords, defended and supported by punk-ass city council members, then the work of God will disrupt their control over our communities like the most terrifying of earthquakes. I liked this plea in Isaiah because it suggests God does have adversaries, and their normal way of controlling communities, politically and ruling people economically and managing entire regions of the world, is about to get fucked up. Our God doesn't play with systems of death. Our God wants to crumble exploitation down and boil oppression up. Think about the masses of people all across the world right now who are unnecessarily dying to this pandemic because capitalist-sponsored politicians are beholden to each nation's ruling class or to their nation's global creditor. Our God wants to destroy these powers because God loves people and hates to see us suffering. And so the work of the church should set fires beneath the calm, stable waters of structurally caused agony and bring this normalcy to a boil. Let's continue on to verse 3. Quote, when you did awesome deeds that we did not expect, you came down, the mountains quaked at your presence. Quote. One reason that this world is the way it is that a racial apartheid persists in the US, that gender and sexuality is obsessed over in church communities, that people don't go to the doctor in the US because we don't want to spend our tiny savings on medical bills, that kids graduate from high school only to unknowingly be sent into decades of debt for a for-profit college education, that the working class here in the last 50 years has produced enormous profits for bosses, And their financers, yet has also been forced to take on suffocating debt, is because we have allowed ourselves to internalize capitalist ideology, the ideology of whiteness, and the ideology of American exceptionalism. One reason it's hard to even imagine a world without 800 plus US military bases all over the planet is because we have internalized the ideologies that benefit our oppressors. I mean, as we all know, it's hard for most people to imagine another world. Imagine the realization of socialism and black freedom and indigenous sovereignty. It's hard for people to imagine fundamental change because liberation and revolution have been said to be unbelievable. There is no other alternative, Margaret Thatcher told us. And there are two great lies that we have internalized that I wanted to... Uh, reflect upon. And both of these lies have to be crushed through organizing and political education. All right, and so uh, the first tells us that the world simply is the way it is, and we can't do a thing about it the world can't fundamentally be transformed your community can't be transformed by the people for the good of the people and it's a lie that keeps a lot of us from ever even participating in the process of struggle and liberation theologically we might think of this as telling us that this this lie as telling us that if there is no possibility of liberation then there is no possibility of salvation all right, so, so the first lie tells us that transformation isn't possible at all. And the second lie is this. Everyday people do not have the capacity to transform the world. All right, so workers can't take on the boss. Tenants can't win against the landlord. Debtors can't take on banks and lenders. Communities can't seize control over education systems or policing or housing. Workers and tenants and community members and laypersons are inferior this lie, tells us. But according to the author of Isaiah 64, the work of God is a work that surprises us. The tearing, rupturing, boiling work of God is unexpected to so many people. Socialism is unbelievable to the mind that believes capitalists have won. Community control is absurd to the consciousness that has been colonized by white supremacy. Transformation comes unexpected to the person who believes revolution is a fairy tale. And the plea in verse 3 says the work of God subverts our expectations. And so, in part, the work of the church must make the unbelievable believable to those who have lost hope in revolutionary transformation. We must teach ourselves and one another that our communities can be transformed for the good, and it is only the people who can bring about fundamental change. All right, so it's not individual activists, pastors, academics, or politicians. The people themselves must learn that they and they alone have the collective power to transform and lead our world. Our text from Psalms for this Sunday asks God to restore us and to give us life, uh, give us life. When I read this, I thought of the need to restore conviction to people's movements, hope in a radically transformed future, confidence in the people's ability to win, and fervor to end the suffering wrought by capitalism, imperialism, and social oppression. The work of God will sound absurd to those who believe that humanity has seen the last revolution. Many are not expecting change. But as Christians and revolutionaries, we must believe that the people can win the world. But it has to be fought for. We must awaken our co-workers and neighbors to the awesome deeds, right, as a, as the... A, Isaiah calls it, the awesome deeds that in this moment seem impossible to the masses. Another idea that jumped out to me uh, was in Mark chapter 13, verses 32 through 37. Now, as I talked about in my conversation with Candace Simpson, there is a lot of bad shit in the Bible, especially along lines of gender, sexuality, slavery, colonization, and I think it's mostly unhelpful to, unhelpful to pretend that the Bible is primarily good and liberative or something, right? Because this section is a case in point. The author uses an example of a slave owner putting his slaves to work while he goes off, probably to a resort or something, and terrorizing his slaves by not telling them when he'll be back. It's a disgusting example of to use, just to make a point. But the point the author is making is about staying awake and, and keeping alert. All right. Staying awake and keeping alert for the final realization of God's kingdom in which, uh, quote, they will see the son of man coming in clouds with great power and glory. And he will, quote, send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. And so what I wanted us to wrestle with here was, listen, you got to get right with the Lord. If you don't know Jesus tonight, if you haven't accepted the truth, the one and only truth that Jesus and Jesus alone is your God, is your big sexy daddy, then you are going to get left behind my... No, I'm just kidding. Okay, so what I thought was actually interesting about this passage was the staying awake In the keeping alert. There is a militant discipline about this alertness that the author is suggesting, albeit with an incredibly terrible example, right? That I think we have to start cultivating in organizing spaces and in our communities. You know, capitalism has turned us into bland, passive consumers, right? When we're not at work, what are we doing? Well, uh, I'm consuming food, Alcohol, Netflix, social media, politics. U.S. Americans aren't participating weekly in community or workplace struggles. We're at home drinking beer, watching TV, or consuming other forms of entertainment for the sake of staying busy. And I think if we genuinely want to transform the world, we have to take seriously transforming our personal habits and behaviors. We have to change what we do as individuals at home and how we spend our time. And the only organizations that will be able to build the people power needed in order to overthrow the dominant socioeconomic systems and ideologies will be highly disciplined organizations with real expectations of the people who want to participate. Um, If you haven't checked out The Wretched of the Earth by Franz Fanon, I highly recommend. um, uh, He goes on about organization, uh, the relation between organization and spontaneity, and and I think it's really important. All right, but um, having said that, I also want to tell you the truth. There is a part of me that doesn't want to win, right? If I'm going to be honest with myself and with you, there is a part of me, haunting me daily, that would rather sit at home every night and drink whiskey and eat pizza than study and produce this podcast and start a tenant organization. There's a part of me, right, that likes being a passive consumer, that likes the idea of just vacationing whenever I got enough punnies in my pocket. I have conflicting and contradicting desires within me. But a people's movement strong enough to take over the city of Charlotte, the state of North Carolina, the United States, the entire world, Will require of us a level of militancy and discipline that must over time be built as persons in communities. And I'm not saying we shouldn't enjoy food and drink in nature, right? I love camping and going to the beach and, and just hanging out with friends and drinking Buffalo Trace or Wild Turkey 101, right? I love my homemade veggie pizzas I make every week, but what weekly habits and behaviors do we need to mix up? so that we can participate in community, labor, and tenant organizations, right? I'll I'll come back to this in the end. Because another part of the Isaiah 64 reading that I found interesting were the confessional pieces. Now, the author clearly believes that God has punished the people with colonization because of the people's sins. And this Isaiah is saying, Big dudes upstairs, you know, hey, we are sorry. Kind of like Wayne and Garth on their knees saying, we're not worthy, we're not worthy. But I think we can think about confession and self-criticism in a way that isn't so self-deprecating, because we have to be self-critical, right? Again, both as individuals and as communities or in our organizations. Organizations and institutions need to be able to try assumptions and methods out, fail, collectively reflect upon the failure, and come up with new tactics or even entirely new strategies. This is a dialectical process, and I think self-critique is fundamental for us. But the not-that-different piece of confession can also serve to remind us, as we talk often about on the show, of the failure of everything. There is no perfect world without sin, without unnecessary and unjust violence. I'm I'm not kidding myself or anyone listening to this pod when I say that socialism will not be a pure and perfect state of being, right? There's no such thing. Purity culture is really fucked up, whether you're talking about heterosexuality's ethics and norms or about groups organizing for revolutionary transformation, and we should be weary of that purity culture that will either eat our souls alive or it will create a massive blind spot, dangerous to the well-being of the people and so isaiah says we have all become like one who is unclean and all our righteous deeds are like a filthy cloth we all fade like a leaf and our iniquities like the wind take us away End quote this is what isaiah says and while i definitely think differently about why people suffer and what god does and doesn't do I'm with him on the importance and need for confession and self-critique. And lastly, bringing us back to what I was saying about becoming disciplined in our lives and in our organizations, I want to suggest that the anticipation and preparation of Advent is one of active participation, not passive consumption. The Advent theology we get from a lot of churches today is a non-participatory Advent. I mean, I think the word wait is the worst thing we could be telling folks to be doing right now, right? Advent isn't about waiting. That's an advent co-opted by systems of exploitation and oppression. Advent should be about joining in collective struggles in our communities in doing the hard work of building people's movements. Class struggle, anti-racist work, feminist organizing, I mean... What the fuck is the church if it's not willing to die on today's crosses erected for those who believe that the world can be transformed and that it is only the people themselves who have the power to change it? In verse 9 of 1 Corinthians 1, Paul tells the Corinthians that it was by God that they were called into the fellowship of Christ, into the living, breathing, moving body of Christ, the work of the church isn't something Christians can opt out of. It's a calling. Either you are a participant in the work of God or you're not. And while Mark suggests that there is some unknown and mysterious time in the future, Kairos thinking, in my opinion, is mostly unhelpful. What are we waiting for? Maybe, as I said earlier, there are parts of ourselves that don't actually want to participate in what Gutierrez calls the processes of salvation, and that's just hard for us to openly acknowledge. But there is not a right time in the future. God is working in the here and now, and if we don't do the hard work in the now, I promise you, tomorrow we will still be waiting. A decade from now, a half century from now, we will all still be waiting on that good old Kairos moment. So rather than wait, may we hear the calling to participate. Thanks for listening in. Thanks to the Patreon supporters who support the show. If you haven't left an iTunes reading or review, that helps us a bunch. And I'm thinking of you all in these challenging times, y'all. Looking forward to next week already, and we'll talk soon. Peace.